Yay. Phew. Oh, I, I just had a heart-stopping moment. Audacity seemed to freeze up. <laughs> but it, it popped back. That's good. Okay. Not over to Leo. Over to Joe. Ah, yeah. Welcome to Midcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. Now with more hosting, I'm Joe. Hi, this is Tony, and I've been getting commissioned. Running on hot leaf juice, I'm Norbert. I'm Josh, the Sultan of Swap. And on my very last episode, I'm Leo. This is episode 371.5, recorded on Sunday, October 3rd. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post on the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram or Discord or Facebook or post directly at mintcast.org. In our innard section, this week we'll be discussing GTK theming. And finally, the feedback and a couple of suggestions. Now here in our Linux Nerds, we're going to be discussing the current and future state of GTK and GNOME theming. This was originally a topic for both Norbert and Nishant, but Nishant had an issue come up and wasn't able to make the show today. So Norbert, you get the spotlight. Don't worry, I'm going to be right here uh, shaking my fist at all the things, all the whole entire way. You're not going to be able to get rid of me, uh, mostly because it's the last episode and I have to insert myself anywhere I possibly can. So, <laughs> If you didn't, it would be a very short second half of Might the show. Be. Well, this past few weeks, I did something I don't usually do, and I, I opened Twitter and looked at some tweets about the development of PopOS, and there seemed to be some what I want to say. I don't know the English word. <laughs> and there seem to have been some misunderstandings between the GNOME team and the PopOS team that has been going on for months or probably even years. And with Libra way down the horizon, uh, a couple of things about the GTK theming are becoming uncertain for the future, which isn't affecting end users yet, but it's already at a state where it's affecting a lot of developers, especially people who are developing their own themes for their own distros. And uh, I actually really like the current state of GTK theming when you can just when you can just write CSS sheets. Yeah, the style sheets are really the thing that I think was uh, very. That was the contentious thing, right? They wanted to get rid of CSS style sheets and the way that everybody was using them so that the app developer could control the way that their app looked. So that that seemed to be the flashpoint and lots of things tended to follow along after that. I actually, a few years ago, I was theming my new Endeavor install and uh, it's on topic because I wanted to transition over to using the budget desktop, but I ended up going back to GNOME because... I really need those smooth touchpad gestures for switching workspaces on my laptop. And uh, I actually got to tinker with some CSS sheets because I wanted to edit that boring gray background that the new GNOME 4 overview screen has and also the color of the panel to blend in with the title bar thing of my Windows, title bar theme of my Windows. And I really got to appreciate how easy it is to create themes with the CSS. And whenever I use as GTK distro, I expect to be able to just go to pling.com, select a GTK theme, download it, apply it, and it being applied system-wide. So one of the things that the GNOME team is, I think, trying to get rid of is system-wide theming. Because on hand, it, it is a really good thing for application developers to have a bigger say in how their application looks like. But on the other hand, when I, for example, on my daily driver distro, I use a greenish teal sort of uh, colored GTK theme. And whenever I open the application, I expect it to blend it with other applications. So if one day I were just to open GNOME disks or something and it would look like the default uh, weighted theme, it wouldn't really look right within my desktop. Of course, this is 
for when you don't use GNOME, but other GTK desktops. But I just really don't think that system-wide theming is a bad thing, and I really like to have it, and I really like to have it in the future. Well, I guess um, a big, huge swath of the known developers disagree with you mostly. So it's not that they don't want um, you know, everything to look right. They just don't want you to do it, right? I mean, that, that, I, this started, I get, well, it's, it's been a long time coming, uh, but they, it was formalized with the website stopthemingmy.app. Right, so the website is stop theming my dot app. <laughs> as soon as I said it fast, I was like, "That doesn't make sense." I haven't actually looked at the website looked at that website uh, before. Yeah, so what you're really getting into is you get to the crux of what they don't want, and what they don't want is for you to make their app look differently than the way that they shipped it in the first place. Their main concern seems to be that. If they ship you an application, by default, it's in the light theme, unless for some reason you're asking Libidweta to paint the application correctly in the theme that Libidweta understands. Well, Pop! OS doesn't do this, and neither does Ubuntu. And those are the two most prevalent, I think, distributions that ship GNOME with a custom theme baked into it. I know there are more distributions that do it, but I think as far as... Um, usage goes ubuntu just takes the cake so these are gonna be in my eyes ubuntu is the main culprit here and pop os to a smaller degree because they are based off of ubuntu um they don't want you to theme their apps because a lot of times what happens is if you're if if it expects a light mode but it's given a dark mode things aren't going to look right you won't be able to read the text because you know it's it's like dark text on a dark background or light text on a light background it just doesn't look right and so what they complain about, it seems to me, is that lots of people will file a bug report at the application. Well, that's not where you do that. It's the theme that broke, not the application. So that that's what got me. That was, as far as I could tell, the main argument for it all, is that the bugs were getting put in the wrong spot. Squash them! Yes, but you said Squash the application <laughs> is expecting a dark theme, a light theme. But couldn't the application developers make... Uh build the app in a way that it could handle either the light or dark theme. It should be commonplace at this age. As long as the light and dark theme that you're using is a beta. That, that's it, right? Like, you can have any color you want as long as it's supported by a beta. And that's two colors, light and dark. Well, actually three, if you consider the high contrast theme, and maybe three with tweaks if you consider that Libidweta does support, at least right now, rudimentary, um, the ability to theme the accent color. But one of the things that I really kind of kind of balked at was that elementary does this, except GNOME still... Okay, so let me back up for a sec. Elementary does this. Elementary is probably the only distribution that actually works hand-in-hand with GNOME and Libidweta to make this stuff look correct. Except that the way that Elementary did it is still considered a hack by the GNOME team. So it even, it, it comes up in the article, uh, let me see, the, the, it was the truth they're not telling you about themes. This is uh, a blog post by one of the GNOME developers that goes into the idea that, and don't get me wrong, the ability, what, what Libidweta can do is actually pretty fantastic. And I think that Pop and Ubuntu would be able to get 80% of the way there just using what is already available in Libidweta, except that there are some things that Libidweta just doesn't support. However, Elementary tries to do this, and even at this point, it, uh, the author says it's debatable if it's going to be implemented or merged at all. There are a couple of design issues and concerns that need further research. It's a possibility, but don't bet on it. That sounds to me like, well, you didn't do it the way we liked. So no, it no. Even even the group that's spending a lot of time working with the GNOME devs still did it wrong. So it's it seems to me that while I know that the GNOME devs are saying all over the place that, you know, as long as you work with us, we'll be happy to do it. I mean, Pop! OS was at the BOF. I don't even know what that stands for. It doesn't even matter. But they were at the, the, the Guadec coming together, putting together in 2019 what Libidweta should be. And then apparently Pop! OS and Ubuntu fell off the face of the planet. And then Libidweta just had to move on anyway. And GNOME didn't 
care for their input just because they didn't give it. Um, but it, it, it just seems to me that every single time that an idea is put forth, and this is in the GitHub, and this is in uh, the GNOME forum, I forgot, uh, it, it's, it's in the show notes, where every single answer that I've seen put forward has really just been, well, no, that's not really what we were thinking about doing anyway, so we can't implement that in Libidweta. So you're in an impossible situation where you have to do theming exactly the way that the GNOME devs want you to do theming, otherwise it's a hack, or it's unsupported, and we're not going to implement it. So. I don't know. It, it puts Ubuntu and Pop in a really uh, weird situation, but we'll come out of it. it it'll happen. And by theming, you mean using Adobe Well, right. Using Or Adobe Dark, and that's it. Sort of. Yeah. This was actually uh, posed to Clem on the Linux Mint blog by a user as well. And that user asks, with themes in mind, what are your thoughts on the GTK4 theming situation? Seems that they are removing lots of options for custom themes in GTK4 in favor of Libidueta. And Clem's response was, we have a wait-and-see approach. There's a lot of good things coming from upstream, but we also know what we want. We'll be strict on what's important, but pragmatic all the same. What's going to end up happening? Is Pop and Ubuntu and Mint and everybody else that decides to move over to GTK4, and I think Pop and Ubuntu are going to do that sooner than Cinnamon will, you're going to end up in at a crossroads. From what I can tell, you have to choose how you want to fix this because it is the fix that Ubuntu and Pop are trying to implement will not land for Libidweta 1.0, which means that it may not be ready for the LTS which means that Pop and Ubuntu will miss out on it in 2204 and might see it in 2210. And we're, we're more likely to see it in like 2304 or something like that, what they do. So it, it, the fix for Ubuntu and Pop may land in Libidweta 2. Maybe, maybe, if it passes muster, if the GNOME folks decide that that's the correct way to go. Um, but like I said, it seems like the solutions that have been proposed, at least even even as stopgap measures to try and make it work with Libidweta 1 and get it formalized for Libidweta 2, just not the way to go about it, uh, according to the GNOME folks. So you're, you're at a crossroads. You have a technical fix. You just accept that Libidweta is not going to do what you want, and you patch it. That is what I really assume is going to happen in the interim. There will be a patch applied at the distro level to make Libidweta accept what Ubuntu or Pop or any of, the other, uh, any of the other themers are giving it, right? Ignore what the application developer said to do, apply this. And that seems to be the only, if you want it to look like Ubuntu, if you want it to look like Pop, it seems to be, to me, the, the easiest solution because the other solution is going to be working with the limitations of Libidweta, which is essentially you can't use your theme in the way that you want it to work exactly, but then they can use some of the accenting and theming that Libidweta does let you use. However, that power is in the hands of the developer, which no argument there. I mean, it's their app. They can do what they want to with it, but you can do some really cool, fun colorization things. Go check out some of the links that we have in the show notes. You can do a lot with Libidweta and the accenting and the theming that you can do with it. It's just that's not a solution for Ubuntu and Pop. So my money is on Pop and Ubuntu are going to work together for an interim solution to patch everything <laughs> and just make it work until they can, they can formally add the changes to Libidweta so that they can make it work for real. But I don't know. There's been a lot of work in uh, in both Yaru and the Pop OS theme to make it look more like Libidweta, so things aren't as jarring and breaking as um, as they could possibly be. But it just doesn't seem like any of this is going to land anytime soon to to just be a drop in replacement or anything like that. So I don't know. I don't know. But I do recommend that you go check out the the truth that they're not telling you about themes, um, which is it's a title that's a title man but go check that out because there's actually some really good uh pictures of what libid way can do and it's actually kind of impressive so I, I do recommend you go take a look at that before you decide to jump into the whole libid way to sucks and all that kind of stuff it is powerful it just doesn't do what ubuntu and pop are asking it to um but it's up to them uh seems like to implement the fix but it's also up to gnome to say okay finally 
to something that is actually developed. So we'll see how it goes. Anyway, I'll stop on uh, on on that particular tangent and uh, let this uh, section keep moving forward. So my biggest question is, if I'm not using GNOME, I'm using any of the other GDK-based desktops, XFC, Budgie, Cinnamon, will this affect me? Because I use a lot of GNOME applications on XFC on my desktop. Could there be a day when I'm using my own global theme and I update GNOME disks or something else and I open it and it uses Adveda? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it already does in elementary. I think if you, if you're already on GTK4 as a desktop, or if the application that you're pulling down via Flatpak or whatever comes bundled with GTK4, it's likely, and it, again, it's the dev's choice whether to use Libidweta in the first place. But if that dev has chosen Libidweta and you're getting the GTK4 version of that app out of Flatpak or somewhere else, then yeah. It's just going to use what the what the application itself has defined for itself. And if I'm just using the main repos or something, let's say Arch, while XSE itself isn't using GTK4, I assume if I download disks or upload disks, it will just pull GTK4 because it needs it in the future. Correct. So will, yeah. would, you, would it just override my global theme and then I open disks and it's at beta? By default, yes. However, it seems that if they want to, and Arch is not a group to go out and change the defaults for anything, so I'm just going to guess they're going to stick with it's going to be Adweta because otherwise they would have to patch it to make that particular application use or, or accept the usage of something else. Another topic that sort of ties into this is using GNOME itself because like we said, uh, Ubuntu and Pope and a lot of other distros that use GNOME put in their own extensions to make it look the way they want. But GNOME, and that's a hack, by the way. Yep. That, that, that is officially, officially a hack. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> and on, on the last episode of the Ubuntu podcast, they actually predicted that in the future, in the next 10 years, Ubuntu will likely abandon GNOME and create their new desktop environment, like they did with uh, Unity in the past. So, and... I haven't listened to it, but allegedly they were in an in agreement on this prediction. So I was thinking what would be the right way to do that if they were really going to do it. And this is just my opinion, because the Ubuntu team doesn't really agree with what the GNOME team is doing, so they have their own thing. But then the POP team, the POPOS team, doesn't really agree on everything with the Ubuntu team, that's why they have POPOS. So it, it might be a good idea in the future for the Ubuntu team and System76 to develop a new desktop environment together, probably based on GNOME. So they should just fork GNOME and uh, maybe get, or maybe fork another GTK-based environment if they want to stick with GTK, and they sh they could work on it together, and it would probably be a successful environment. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that. I believe their speculation was that they think they're going to use Flutter on Ubuntu, as they've already used it to build the installer. Right, so installer step one, step two, make the rest of the entire desktop environment. <laughs> right, <laughs> no big that deal. That would be kind of cool. That's sort of what the budget team are trying to do because they are trying to move away from GTK entirely. It's kind of a shame right. because I, I, I explicitly like budget because it is GTK and it's closely known, but it is not known. It's a for it's, it's known, but it works better with a mouse because. I really like GNOME on my laptop because it has a touchpad, but I still can't really get into using GNOME, GNOME 40 on my desktop with a mouse at all. It just doesn't feel right for me without extensions. And I do use a lot of extensions, even on my laptop. Right. So, I don't know. Um, I can get along with the GNOME workflow. It's really not that bad. Um, one thing that I do have to have that was implemented in GNOME 41 is the hot corners thing, because what I would like is um, really to not have to add any any kind of thing, any kind of tweak, any kind of whatever. Because I'm trying to look at this from a regular person point of view. And, you know, when you give a regular person a Windows laptop, the thing that they, the, the first thing that they do is not try and figure out how to make Windows look different. The first thing that they do is download Linux. Yeah, no. I mean, really, really, the majority of folks, and I'm just looking at people that use computers, not 
Linux or Windows or anything like that, but just Windows is a huge is a huge section of folks. They just start using it. They they're not trying to make it sure they might move the taskbar or something like that, but I don't think anybody stomps their feet when they can't totally make Windows look nothing like Windows. But there there's stuff in no well stuff missing in GNOME like the um the little task buttons, whatever, the little things that pop up in the top right-hand corner. I don't, I, that's, that's really the only thing that I super disagree with that, that they can do away with. There are so many applications that are even Linux-based applications that depend on that, uh, the app indicators, uh, that depend uh. on those being available in the operating system. And just getting rid of them, I think, was not great. But everything else... In the GNOME workflow, I can get I can get around. It's fine, you know. Three swing, three finger swipe here, hot corner there. It's all good. But those, I think, were a mistake. Yeah, I ran across that when I uh, tried out Fedora and I installed uh, the Pia VPN client on there, and you don't have that indicator up there, so that you know to help you interact with the application. And it's really kind of uh, an inconvenience. Right. What I don't I understand mean, is that. There is plenty of room on the GNOME top bar to put app indicators or system tray there, but they removed it because they didn't want there to be a system tray, but there is room for it. So why not just keep it? What? Because they they haven't offered an alternative to it. They just removed it. Right. Well, there is no alternative because they say that it's confusing, that app indicators are confusing to people. It's not confusing because I want to be able to tell whether this code is still running in the background or I have closed it entirely. And that's right. the only way I can do it other than opening it up and see how much time it takes to open. Right. And, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree that it's confusing. I just think it's a paradigm that's been around so long that you kind of have to have been living under a rock to not understand how they work. In what way is it confusing? I don't really understand. How can it be confusing? Well, I guess mostly because you can get the same idea off of the dash or the the dock or whatever it is i don't know the thing over there on the left <laughs> can i just say something why would you persist in trying to use a desktop environment where so many things don't fit the way you want it to work why not go somewhere else <laughs> because i think a lot of people are just okay with the default it is the tyranny of the default that is the reason i would suspect that a majority of folks use gnome stick on gnome but yeah but they're not the people you've been talking about the people you're talking about are the ones that are moaning about all the things that are broke so why not go somewhere right. else that where it isn't broke <laughs> Well, the the sunk cost fallacy, right? I mean, if you get your start on GNOME, you don't want to have to relearn everything. So you just try to hack GNOME. That I think that just tends to be and and there are paths to do that. You have GNOME tweaks. I mean, the the moment you Google, "Hey, this thing I don't agree with in GNOME. How do I change it?" There's there's seventy gajillion Reddit posts and everything else telling you how to fix it. So it's a sunk cost thing where I'm already invested. All I have to do is add this one software and now I can get the thing that I want fixed instead of having to nuke and pave everything and start from scratch with a whole different desktop environment. With whatever desktop environment that you start with, you should always install a second one just in case. Mm, yeah, no, I guess. No, no, I, I, no, you should always install a second desktop environment just in case your first one breaks. I'm not saying you ever have to use it very often, but if you need a GUI to be able to go back in and fix something, then it's there and available in an emergency. Or if you absolutely have to get something done right now, but Cinnamon is broken or Gnome is broken, then you can go to your second desktop. TTY. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> How do you start Audacity with no graphical... Uh, <laughs> as exactly. long as if I could do that, I'd be good. <laughs> exactly. That, which is why you know, Mate is one of the first things that I always install when I install cinnamon, or when I install Linux Mint cinnamon. And I, I can see that. I mean, the, I, I don't do the second desktop environment thing, but I also don't use GNOME. Um, I use Cinnamon, which is a fork of GNOME from back in 2011, right? Because of the decisions that they made back then. Every time I've installed GNOME, other than GNOME 40. Um, the relatively first thing that I would do is install Mate and then just end up using Mate all the time. 
I can see that. I mean, it's the it's the the traditional paradigm, and Noam is trying to separate themselves from that. Um, and that that is actually some of the underpinning of a lot of the decisions that they've made, right? I mean, yes, they but- don't want it to be Windows. That's that's what Cinnamon is for, you know. They don't want it to have that paradigm. Yeah, them wanting to make it different isn't a bad thing inherently. It just it's not. It's sort of a bumpy ride. It's a bumpy road because for s- small stuff like uh, the app indicators, and I'm actually using GNOME because uh, I want to use GNOME. And at this point, my main reason for sticking to GNOME is the new touchpad gestures. Right now, I try to do it by from Reflex, and I'm on Budgie, and it's not working. And I actually managed to implement it in a sort of hacky way into Budgie with a program that registers uh, touchpad swipes and translates them into key bindings, and it will um, just imitate the key bindings for uh, switching the workspaces on Budgie. But it was kind of sort of clunky, didn't work all the time, so I ended up just going back to GNOME. Was that and, touch egg? Uh, no, it wasn't touch egg or touche, I should say. It was something as, I don't remember its name, it was specifically for uh, swiping gestures and stuff. Okay. So I do use GNOME and I do install, one of the first thing I install is uh, I get back the system tray on the panel. But other than that, I don't really think there are any other essential uh, extensions I would install. There's of course uh, Just Perfection, which which lets, lets you do an even more in-depth customization than it's uh, more detail than GNOME tweaks itself. You can even disable like the panel and move the panel around and re- remove the dash. And I, I, a few days ago, I actually installed Fedora 34 and I was, I decided to try and use it without any extensions. And 10 minutes later, I was already installing the, the system tray because it's something <laughs> that I, it's, yeah. And also something that, that I don't like about GNOME 40 is that the default uh, background color for the overlay overview and even the app grid is just this dull gray. And I understand why they did that, but I also installed another extension called Blur My Shell, and it actually takes your background image and it scales up, scales up to the overview screen and it blurs it. And it just looks so good. And even when you apply uh, something like a Blur, uh, another extension that lets you blur the, the panel, and it's just a seamless transition from the desktop to the overview and the blur is constant and it just looks so good that I really want it to be a default feature in GNOME because I'm not, I don't really like that uh, default gray that they use. Any desktop environment where you can't actually use the desktop, it just doesn't sit well with me. I don't <laughs> see the point of that. What is that, just a wallpaper holder then? I mean, that's just it. It's just it? an environment. It doesn't come with the desktop. Yeah. <laughs> What do you mean by using the desktop? Putting icons on the desktop? Yeah. Yeah, I don't like I don't yeah. even put icons. I even disable the the trash bin icon on Windows. I don't want to have any icons on my desktop. That's what the start menu and the taskbar is for, in my opinion. For me, I I gotta have icons, man. It's uh, because I treat my desktop like I treat my physical actual desktop. Yeah. Stuff that I need to have at quick access is literally on my desk. And same with computing. When I need quick access to it, it's literally on my desktop. So that, that I use it like I use the real life analog. That, that, that's where a lot of my uh, scripts that I write, the helper scripts that I write end up because, you know, I'll just go to the desktop, right click and new item. Yeah. I've got my desktop environment is covered in uh, documents and all sorts of stuff. So, but I w- what I was going to say is, I actually ran Vanilla Gnome, must be about 12 months ago, to do a review for Distro Hoppers. And I think I spent two days after installing it trying to work out how to get it to to work from you know by doing gnome tweaks and doing the menu and all sorts of stuff to try and get it into a kind of workflow that i could work with and i could have installed ubuntu mate and been working with it half an hour after it in uh, you know after i'd put the uh, usb stick in installed it updated it and i'd have been working with it whereas with gnome it like i say it took me two days before i even felt comfortable with it and i still wasn't 100 percent happy what were some of the biggest things you had to change for your workflow on gnome well for me i like i like to have a, a menu and i like to be able to go and find things on a menu oh. and i like to be able to uh, save things to the desktop which you can't 
so there was loads of stuff that I didn't like about it. There was there was things that I did like, but there was too many things for me that outweighed the things the few things I did like about it to make me not uh, to make me not want to change from the desktop environment. I'm used to I can I can go to Plasma because Plasma's familiar enough for me to be able to make it work. I do do a couple of little tweaks on Plasma, but I can I can get that to work for me. XFCE, I used XFCE uh, virtually from the beginning of my experience with uh, Ubuntu, with uh, Ubuntu back in 2007. So I can I can swap and change between Marty and XFCE. I've got no problem at all. But um. you know, GNOME just doesn't. Well, this version of GNOME when it was GNOME two. I was dead happy, <laughs> so now I'm on Marte. <laughs> right, it's about you know, do you want to conform to your desktop, or do you want your desktop environment to conform to your workflow? And I don't think it's worth having to go in and, and extend the heck out of it just to get your workflow when you can easily just download a distro or a desktop environment that uh, it, it's already set for you, basically. Well, I do aggressively customize now because. It's a funny thing, like I said, the, I really like the touchpad and the touchscreen support. And it's some, these are things that I simply couldn't find in any other desktop environment. So I heavily customize it, but the end result I get, I'm still not able to get it in any other environment. Right. Uh, and to be Tony, clear, this you... isn't about, you know, bashing on GNOME, because obviously there are users of this desktop environment where the workflow works very well for them. But I think there's a lot of users that don't uh, have this same workflow and yeah. they choose a more traditional paradigm. But likely, yeah, like you said, Leo, uh, probably 90% of the people who install Ubuntu uh, with the GNOME desktop just leave it and get on with it because they're familiar with it. They don't want to do any changes. It's a work machine. They know, they know how to use it and they get on with it. It's, it's the geeks mainly that want to change things. It's us weirdos that have expectations out of their desktop environment that just aren't apparent in GNOME <laughs> right out of the box that go and start wreaking havoc and then submitting bug yeah. reports that uh, GNOME yeah. just squashes immediately <laughs> because <laughs> won't fix. Yeah, right? Like the app indicators thing is not a bug. We literally don't want them there. Yeah. So if Ubuntu would end up switching from GNOME to something else and if they if they were to choose from this already existing environments, which one would you think would be their best choice for them? I haven't been, really been able to give an answer to this question myself. Plasma is probably the most uh, mature, so that might be a thing. But yes, but that is a very drastic change from G it moving is. from GTK to Qt. Right, right, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. I I would say go back to Unity. <laughs> no, no, no. The Ubuntu Unity team actually are working on a fork of uh, Unity 7, which is Unity X, but that is completely unrelated to Canonical. But yeah, that's it's a still interesting thing, to right? see. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. No, Lo isn't Lumiere cute? Wait, I didn't know. Is, is Unity even is it? cute or GTK? I'm yeah, sure. it's cute. But didn't we really? yesterday look up and it, and it said it was based on GNOME, which is GTK? The original Unity, I think uh, Lumiere... Oh. At least, uh, yeah, UB ports, I believe they said it was QT, the toolkit. I'm not really sure what Lumiere is, but this is something called Unity X, which they're trying to develop for Ubuntu uh, Unity specifically. Right. It would be funny to have a Ubuntu GNOME flavor again. <laughs> right. <laughs> which would hopefully not have the Snap Store, but have the regular GNOME software, which is one of the things I, I if I had to use GNOME, I think that one of the first things I would do is probably get rid of the Ubuntu software uh, center and install the GNOME software center, which integrates into the system just as fine as the other one does. And I think it, I would more, be more comfortable with that. Yeah. So, so I think me, I will, so I think I will just keep using GNOME and I am not using the elevated theme anymore. So I guess we'll just see with GNOME 41 and 42 where this goes. Oh, you will be using elevated theme. Uh, yeah. So as long as I get my app indicators, I'd be okay with them. Well, I actually have been using the elevated theme for this past month, past year, in fact, since I moved to uh, GNOME. But since I tried Ubuntu Mate, I realized that 
how much I like Yaru, the Yaru theme. Because I, I had mixed feelings about Yaru, but right now I think I start to prefer it over Adveda. So whenever it just breaks and it, things start to look more Adveda-like, I will be yelling at. I will do like the old man yelling at Cloud at the cloud in the Simpsons. Be interesting to see what the feedback is for next episode about our bashing of gnome for this one. Stop talking about gnome on Linux Mint podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> it would be interesting to see Canonical just move to cinnamon from gnome. Hey, if now. that ever would happen, I mean, it could happen. Okay, um, that's it for the innards. Let's move on to vibrations from the ether. Okay, first and only up in Vibrations from the Ether is Rob emailed. Greetings programs. I'm loving Linux Mint and I'm truly enjoying your podcast. I may be the only one listening while I mow my lawn. No, you're not. Nope, Josh. Josh uh, <laughs> Josh Hawk listens while he's mowing. That's all he does. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I forget to add uh, to when I listen to audio stuff. On the bus, while doing work, Cleaning the house, also mowing the lawn. It's a great way to. I would like all of your opinions on the possibility of getting a USB microscope to work with my old Serena machine. I'm at a loss as to where to get drivers. I've seen that it should just use a standard camera driver, so I browse some apps. Any suggestions on a good camera app to try? Rob in Minnesota. Now, my response was simply um, cheese. And I guess I should have, you know, expanded on that a little bit. Um, When it comes to testing out cameras, really cheese is awesome because it it does have that little bit of a user interface that will uh, go through everything that it thinks might be a camera and then let you choose them one at a time and go through and find what's working and um otherwise you know lsusb trying to find the specific item going and searching for the drivers but if it's using standard drivers then cheese should find it and then leo replied right i i just suggested using obs but um, it struck me that you said Serena, which is based on Ubuntu 16.04. Um, but I do think that 16.04 does have a PPA for OBS, though I don't think it's in the main repository. So if you can get your hands on OBS, um, not only can you tell it to use the camera so you can record it and do all that kind of fun stuff, there's a lot of additional things that you can do with it, like um, you know, messing with contrast or whatever uh, to get that done. Did that... Did that and then USB microphone. What did I miss? What do you mean? So you said cheese because of camera. Right. And Well, right. he's trying to use a USB microscope, not yeah. a microphone. Oh, microscope. Oh, oh, that it uses like the camera. Dr- I got it. Yeah. Oh, right. So uh, I have like an HDMI pass-through thing. That's why I was thinking OBS. Um, because I have an HDMI pass-through thingamajig that you can record like OBS can't record uh, after you reboot a machine, right? It can't get the BIOS and all that stuff. Uh, but if you use the HDMI pass-through thing, it can because you're not recording on the machine that you're rebooting. You're recording on a separate machine. Uh, so that will work a lot like the USB microphone, microsco- I was going to say microphone again, microscope thing, um, as long as it uses a generic driver for the camera. Um, so yeah, you shouldn't have to mess with the driver. OBS should pick it up as long as the kernel itself sees it. Technically, so should VLC in in the exact oh, same way that OBS does, which is why I suggested cheese because I assumed that um, he had already used like VLC to to try mm. and find the um, camera. So then, right. if VLC doesn't work for me, my next step is cheese because it will find everything it thinks might be a camera and let you test it. And Josh, you had some thoughts on it too. Yeah, actually, while I was trying the Ubuntu Mate uh, beta, it seems they've actually replaced Cheese with a new application called uh, Webcamoid. So it bills itself as the ultimate webcam suite. It's uh, cross-platform, so they have builds for Linux, Windows, and Mac, and it offers a couple of downloads for virtual camera drivers. 
and it's available as an app image. So being on an older distribution like that wouldn't be a problem. So it might be worth a shot. I haven't tested it very extensively, but um, if all else fails. Nice. And it does look like, uh, oh, okay. Brad A, oh, this is another email, said, hey, Leo, and this is, I assume, for check this out, it's uh, arstechnica.com slash gadgets slash 2021 slash 09, examining BTRFS, ButterFS, Linux perpetually half-finished file system. And he wants to know your thoughts on it. Oh, yeah. So um, so I, I, I toyed with putting this and check this out, but I think it, it warrants a bit more of a conversation because I have been a pretty big proponent of ButterFS um, on disks for, I don't know, probably about a year now. And uh, Brad has always been a big proponent of ZFS. So leave it to Brad to throw some controversial stuff in an email just to, uh, just to get my thoughts on it. So I don't know how much of this you wanted to get a rise out of me or not, but I, what, this is still fine. ButterFS is still fine. So the article basically goes in by Jim Salter, basically goes in and goes to some of the history of ButterFS and talks about how it was uh, basically beta forever. And then when the ButterFS devs actually knocked it over to a real versioning number, right? Like when they actually had their first release of ButterFS, they still treated it that way. So bugs that were being submitted were nonchalantly kind of put into the corner and maybe we'll fix it one day, maybe not, I don't know. But I mean, because it was in the kernel, because it was version one, because it was seemingly a ready-to-go uh, file system, it seemed like the developers should have been taking it way more seriously than they actually were. So that that's already something that uh, does, I guess, it, it did contribute a lot to the ButterFS, I guess, view that just ButterFS wasn't good. It wasn't good. It crashed all the time. It didn't whatever this or that. So the reason that I have the stance on ButterFS that I have is you have to listen to the my other opinions on RAID to see that none of the things that are broken in ButterFS affect me personally. I do not use RAID. I, in RAID, stood for at one time, though it does for some people, for inexpensive. It is not inexpensive to run RAID in any capacity that would be you know, usable for anybody that's actually trying to both keep their data redundant and have enough storage to actually do something with that data, right? So, I mean, we're talking at least one terabyte disks, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of them in an array. You can get a good quality one terabyte disk for about $75. Yes, you can buy crappy ones for 40. Do not do that if you care about your data, even if you've got redundancy because RAID is not a backup, right? So I use four terabyte disks. These disks are not cheap. They are about $100 a piece. If one dies, I'm going to hurt. But if it dies in a RAID array, I'm going to hurt even more because not only will my data be sort of accessible slowly because it's having to rebuild on the fly depending on what type of raids that you use, you have to also, as fast as you possibly can, replace that disk because the missing disk causes additional stress on the other disks. And God forbid you bought all of those disks at the same time from the same manufacturer with the same model number. Because if one died... Guess what? There might be the same flaw that caused the initial one to die in the other disks. So if you don't get a new disk in there to rebuild the array to have the redundancy again, you might lose everything else. And guess what? Because RAID is not a backup, you also have to have disks to back up to. So RAID is not inexpensive. But the argument will then come, well, it's not really inexpensive. It's, um, oh, independent right? I mean, each disk is independent, right? That's fine. Whatever. Okay. If you're calling it independent, then all right, then we accept that it ain't cheap to run a raid. So the main crux of Jim Salter's argument in this particular thing, calling ButterFS perpetually unfinished is that if you use ButterFS in a raid array of some kind, there's still tons of bugs, game breaking ones that might lead to data loss. So, all right. So with all that splayed out on the table, 
ButterFS is still 100% the best file system for me because it comes with compression by default. It integrates in with TimeShift, allows me to pick out individual files with a GUI to, to you know, I've, I've deleted that file or I edited that file and saved it and closed and rebooted and everything. And I'm like, oh no, I need to go back. So I can yank that file back out of one of my snapshots. Snapshotting without a GUI is insanely easy. Snapper does that well. Even if you use the ButterFS snapshot tool, it's not great, but it's fine. And if you're familiar with the command line, you can get along with it. Um, so I think generally, because I don't use RAID, and because I like all of the features of ButterFS, I 100% still think that ButterFS is the best file system um, that you can get that is baked into the kernel. <laughs> so the other thing on this is because I know Brad really enjoys ZFS and is a free BSD aficionado and tends to dabble in the BSD. I think you might even be on the desktop uh, BSD. But either way, um, you can get it in the Linux kernel, but it, you have to add it. It's not baked into the actual kernel itself. So if I decided to go to a different uh, distribution or something like that, I may not have the tools I need to be able to uh, to get into my, my ZFS array. So, you know, but then again, I don't do arrays. So I, I don't do RAID at all. So I, I don't think a lot of the benefits um, that ZFS brings to the table really even affect me uh, in the least. So you do you do JBOD with backups? Uh. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it JBOD, but yeah, I mean, if you had to call it something, I would call it JBOD. Uh, it's just disks, man. But right, just a bunch of disks, right? That That is what it is. And a one-to-one -one backup with uh, slower spinning disks. So my backups are on cheaper disks, but if those fail, that's fine. I'll just buy another cheap disk. Um, but if my actual good quality disks that I do not want to fail, uh, fail, then, yeah, I mean, that, that data is just going to be inaccessible for a while. Or I can pull it off of the backups um, while I'm waiting to scrounge up $150 to replace the disk, right? I don't just have that money laying around to be able to flip a disk in. Uh, and I certainly don't have backups because that costs <laughs> money, like, like backup disks as in ready to replace, like warm swap or cold swap disks, whatever. Uh, I don't have that. So, you know, I, I just don't have the extra money lying around to be able to do raid, really, I guess is the bottom line there. Right, no disrespect to Jim, but I think he might have a slight bias towards ZFS. <laughs> he might. I, I really don't know his background as far as it all goes, but uh, I mean, it, it's fine. It, the The conclusions that he has are not wrong. Um, they just don't apply to me because I don't use RAID, and nor do a lot of the a lot of the upsides to ZFS. Those don't apply to me either because I would never use RAID Z one, two, or three, uh, just simply because it's it's cost prohibitive to do so. But I do appreciate, Brad, the, the email, to be honest with you, um, because it does, it did make me reassess why I'm saying I like to use ButterFS and why I would recommend ButterFS to somebody else. Uh, single disk, SSD, man, I don't really think anything, anything is up to the task as, as far as ButterFS is. I still wholeheartedly recommend ButterFS to anybody running on a single disk. If you're using RAID, yeah, point taken, please. Uh, Assess whether or not you want to use ButterFS on a RAID. But um, yeah, in, in my case, it's just not even, it's not an option. ButterFS for your root system, ZFS for your servers is what my impression has been so far of whether you should use one or the other. Yeah, if, if you're in an enterprise situation, you're likely on some kind of array, whether that's software, um, you know, brought up by software like ZFS does or brought up by hardware, which is, I mean has been and is still falling out of favor. But, uh, I mean, the solutions that are taking over for RAID, um, I mean, it's transparent to the admin. They they don't put that together. They just fill the slots with disks and it's handled for them. So, I mean, I don't know. Uh, if you're still trying to get down and dirty, ZFS is still probably the better option. Why isn't ZFS in the kernel, by the way? Uh, licensing, I think, I think is the oh. main thing. And then the OpenZFS team is trying to smooth that out. But... As of today, still not in the kernel, so you have to do some uh, funny magic to make it to, to make it the ability to use ZFS on boot. But that's I don't think that was uh, Brad's point. I know that's not Jim Salter's point either. But um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. That, I think that's that's another just mark for me. It's just, it's not in the kernel, so yeah. I have to fiddle with it. I don't want to. I just would have expected it to get into the kernel before NTFS does, and here we are with NTFS <laughs> in the kernel. 
Oh, oh, okay. I like that one. I, I'm going to steal that one from you and use that one forever. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah. Um, <laughs> added a Microsoft file system. <laughs> that was good. Yep, that was good. Okay, let's transition to check this out. Okay, we have two items today and check this out. The first one is Babar Taskbar GNOME extension. Um, who added this one? It was me. Does anyone know Babar the Elephant? Yes. It was a... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember watching that when I was a kid. And... I remember watching it before you were a kid. <laughs> oh, uh, understandable. And I came across this extension, which uh, was named after Babar. I'm not sure why. So what it does is it turns your top panel into sort of like a taskbar, but it's not just a regular taskbar because uh, you know how when you run a tiling window manager, it tends to have a top bar and it tends to have little numbers or icons for each workspace. So it does the same for GNOME. So you get the numbers numbers for the workspaces on the, on, in the left corner of the panel, but it also uh, has the indicator icon for every window, every app you have open, and it arranges them by the workspace. So next to each workspace's number, you have the icons of the programs that you have open on that workspace, and you can click on it to minimize. So it essentially works like a taskbar, but it groups your applications by workspace. And I really like it, and uh, I actually install this and I am using it instead of using the dash on GNOME. Uh, I think I even went as far as uh, disabling disabling the dash altogether on GNOME to try and use it. The only thing that I problem that I have with it, it doesn't really work with the touch screen, but with the mouse it's perfect. I think at this point it's my favorite GNOME extension so far, at least for customizing the panel. It's when you have to use GNOME, but don't want to use GNOME. It changes everything about GNOME. <laughs> <laughs> But I have to use GNOME because I like the t the, the, the touchpad gestures, but right, I don't right, want right. to I don't want to deal with everything GNOME has to offer by default. So, and I specifically want to. I haven't really used workspaces extensively before, but right now because of the university stuff, I want to get into using workspaces more. And I figured this was this would be the best extension for me to get into workspaces. I even have this num I even have the workspaces indicator and XFC on the top left uh, corner and I change it from uh, the visual representation just saying one, two, three, four the numbers. So I think this is the closest you can get to of turning GNOME into a tiling window manager. Yeah, the next cool. thing would be installing Pop Shell, but for some reason that failed me uh, when I tried to install it from the AUR. So I might might try to work that out. Well, that does look pretty cool. Thank you for telling us about it. And the next link is Webcamoid. I know we covered that partially. Josh, did you have anything else you wanted to say about Webcamoid? I primarily put that in there for Rob, but uh, yeah, anyone else that wants to try it again, it's available as an app image and, uh, and tried it a bit on Ubuntu Mate, as I said, and there's quite a lot of effects and uh, it looks pretty configurable. So just and for this, anyone that wants to give it a try. I've just cool. downloaded the app image. I'll give it a try over the next couple of days and and maybe talk about it next show. I did an app install on it, and that worked fine. But you got the old one. Yeah, probably. It kind of reminds me of um, XPCAM, which was a Linux application despite being called uh, uh, XPCAM or Webcam XP. It's been a long time, but I used to use that for um, IP cameras, and just the interface looks very similar. Okay, and that is our Check This Out. Um, our announcements are the fairly standard announcements. Uh, next episode, 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Sunday, 17th October, and we have a link to get that converted to your time zone in the show notes. The, our next live stream will be at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Saturday, the 9th of October, and we also have a, a time zone con converter there for that. And I also want to say, uh, if you're listening to the front half of the show, there's one piece left, one one of me left. But if you're listening to the point five version of the show, bye. Yep, that's our other last announcement. 
this is Leo's last show and I'm, I'm going to be doing the hosting for a while. Hopefully I don't muck it up too bad. You're going to be great, Joe. Quit. Well, thank you. <laughs> we have faith. We have faith. Do we want to give our thanks to Owen, who's retiring? Ah, yes. Forgot that. That's we got right. that announcement just the other day. Owen will no longer be doing the um, audio editing, and I do have that listed in the show notes at the end. But uh, Leo's going to be taking that over for a little while, and I know that we would like to possibly pull in another listener who would like to give it a try with the audio editing. And Tony, too. So Tony's going to be doing a lot of the, uh, uh, well, for the most part, half of the editing, and I'll be taking the other half. So yeah, Tony will be doing a lot of that as well. And then if we do end up with another person, I'm, I'm happy to show you the ropes, how it works, what to do, uh, some basic defaults, and what to look out for. Maybe we can uh, guilt trip Bo into doing a couple. Oh, we will. We will. <laughs> Well, I also am thinking about maybe trying it in the future, so cool. maybe. Yeah, Absolutely. I think... L- listen, you say the word, and I'll show you how to do it, and then uh, I will make sure to be off the grid for the next three months. <laughs> yeah, I would be able to have a bigger control over uh, taking out my slip-ups from the show. I know that we have had a couple of write-ups, like step-by-step write-ups on how to do it in the past, but I know that we also probably need a new one. Yeah, things have changed. I've made some changes. I know Tony might have some changes as well. But um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, that does need a bit of an update. I, I like it when it's broken down all Barney style in the notes so that I can just <laughs> hand it off to anybody. Okay. And now for our wrap up, I'm Joe. And if you'd um, like to hear me on any of my other podcasts, you can check them out at uh, tllts.org. For the Linux Link Tech Show, I'm also on the Linux Lugcast, which you can get linuxlugcast.com. You can find me on MeWe. You can send me an email, jb at mintcast.org, or you can buy me a coffee. And then, Bo, if you want to talk or see more of his stuff, you can catch him at uh, undercastnetwork.com. You can find him on YouTube with the Undercast Collective. And Tony, how about you? Yeah, you can find me on Hacker Public Radio. I'm host ID338 if you want to go and listen to some of my old podcasts on there. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm TonyH1212. You can get me at uh, th at mintcast.org or distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. And then uh, Joshua Hawk, if you'd like, you can email him, joshontech at mintcast.org. He's at joshontech on Twitter and most other social sites. And you can hear him on Crowbar Kernel Panic. Um, Norbert? I actually listened to the first episode of Crowbar Kernel Panic today because I get curious about what the podcast, uh, podcast was like. Pretty and good, I, isn't it? And I wanted to hear some more, Josh. It's good, man. That, that, that podcast is totally worth it. I might catch up on the entire thing. I'm not really big on gaming, but with so many interesting stuff coming out about Proton and compatibility, I might, this is, this could be what might get me into gaming again. So, uh, as for where you can find me for now, it's only Norbert at mincast.org. I may have other media, social media in the future. For now, I'm not really planning to have any, at least not in English, but who knows? And then there is the other, other, other josh technically the real josh because i can see him right now (laughs) Uh, i think there's a josh war about to start oh you mean josh the third there you go Uh, you can find me at jt at mintcast.org josh thacker on discord and at metal underscore foss on twitter and before i go here i just want to say godspeed leo we'll be listening to you thank you yay and then Nishant, who was not able to make it today, um, you can catch him, Nishant, at mintcast.org. Rikon Ghost on Instagram. Rikon Ghost at GitHub. Ghost Rikon on Discord. Or Maverick00783 on Steam. And then there's that, that one guy who we've already forgotten. Yep, he's already long gone. No idea who that guy was. But if you care, 
leochavez.org and at leochavez on Twitter, at leo at c.im on Mastodon. I have to do the whole list because it's the last time, right? So find me at linuxuserspace.show if you want to hear more, uh, or Terminal Tricks if you want to see more. And of course, if you like that kind of stuff and want me to keep doing that kind of stuff, you can always buy me a coffee. Linux User Space is my favorite Linux uh, podcast by far. You can't say that. It's it's Mintcast and, Mintcast, and Linux Mintcast. User Space. Yes, but yes, but I have to <laughs> uh, stay impartial too. Everything. So. Oh, good call. Good no, call. No, you don't. Who who told you that? Somebody lied to you. <laughs> okay. Um, before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Owen Peary for audio editing, although he will be taking a break and Tony and Leo will be taking over for a while. Josh Lowe for all his work on the website. Hobstar for our logo. And NitRD for the animated Discord logo. And Londoner for our time sync. Bitemark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our Mumble server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. And the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, 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 and Co. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of The New And that's a wrap. <laughs>